and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The text is the gospel reading from Mark 5. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, check it out. Two stories, a woman and a father. For both, Jesus is their only hope. Both teach us what is the highest worship of Jesus. That's spelled F-A-I-T-H. Faith always looks to Jesus for every good, for all help. Faith fears, loves, and trusts in Jesus above all things. And when there are faithers gathered around Jesus receiving help, his gifts, and his love, the Lord Jesus is having a church. So, in the text, those who believe in him pray to him. Jairus, my little one is dying, Lord. Please lay your hands on her. Do that, and I know she will be healed and live. Jairus has faith. He believes that Jesus can heal his daughter by just laying on his hands. He trusts Jesus, the healer. But time is running short. Every wasted minute brings his precious daughter closer to death's door. He grabs the Lord by the hand and fights his way through the crowd. Hurry, there's no time to lose. Maybe you've been there as well when you rode with your very sick child in the ambulance on the way to the emergency room, or you watched your little one suffer from a very high fever or a seizure, perhaps. You feel completely helpless. So what do you do? You get down on your knees and you beg Jesus to do something, just like Jairus. Oh, stretch out your hands, O oh Lord. Heal her. She's so young, so precious, so much of her life yet to live. She has proms to attend. She wants a big wedding and a family, so much to look forward to. So please, Jesus, don't let her die. But the crowd is bustling. You can hardly get through it. A mass of humanity. It's like trying to get through the gate at the College World Series. Pushing, shoving, bumping. Excuse me, excuse me. Jairus frantically trying to lead Jesus through it to get him to his dying little girl. There's a woman in that crammed as sardine in a can crowd. She's anemic white, so weak. Oh, it's not because she's a senior citizen. Instead, her blood count is extremely low, dangerously low. No, deadly low. She has no energy. Why? Because she's been bleeding for 12 years. Female problems. Get it? She's been to the doctors, Mark says, and all the specialists, and there's no help there. The doctors wouldn't be interested in her day because, after all, she's a woman. 
and women in those days were nothings and nobodies. But, the, but they did take their money. <laughs> they took her money. Mark candidly says that the physicians drained all of her entire life savings. Everything that she had, Mark says. They, but they didn't help her at all. Instead, it made matters worse. So physically, this woman is in dire straits, and spiritually too, spiritually as well, because the pastors of her day would blow her off as well, because her female problems made her unclean, according to the book of Leviticus. Don't come near me, the pastors would say. This most likely explains why she sneaks up on Jesus. She'd heard the reports about how Jesus healed the sick with just a touch or a word, and so she figured, well, you know, he won't want to touch me, but I'll just touch the outer hem of his garment, he'll never know. And that's what she does. She sneaks up right behind Jesus, surrounded by this huge crowd with Jairus leading the way, and she gets down on all fours, her hand between people's feet, and her fingertips brush the hem of Christ's robe. And immediately the text says her bleeding stops. Twelve years of suffering, weakness, anemia, isolation, all of it ended in an instant. She felt a surge of energy go through her body, vitality, life, health, strength. <laughs> and at that very same moment, the Lord Jesus Christ senses something too. Power had gone out of him, the text says. Someone had reached out in faith and tapped into his creative and healing power. That is the power that created the cosmos, the heavens and the earth, what set the stars in motion and separated the sea from the dry land. This is the creative power of the Word, capital W, Word, through whom all things were made. The power of him, the Lord Jesus Christ, who holds all things in existence in his being. This faither woman reaches out to Jesus to barely touch the edge of his robe, and Jesus absorbs her sickness and his life flows into her. Oh, by the way, that's what the cross is all about. Do you know that? A sweet swap as well, a blessed exchange as well. You remember that as Jesus hangs suspended on the cross, he absorbs into his own body all the sin, the suffering, the sickness, the death of our broken and wrecked humanity. Like a dry sponge, Jesus soaks it all into his crucified body. Everything that has gone wrong with us is now his. Everything that is wrong with the world because of our sin, he takes. Everything that is out of whack with our bodies, our world, our souls, Jesus bears. And out of his death on the cross, Jesus gives us his holiness, his perfection, a new creation, peace, shalom. Everything is set in order once again, just like at the beginning of Eden. Did you notice in the text that the woman didn't need to touch Jesus except his what? Didn't have to touch Jesus, but only his what? Only the garment. She didn't need to make some spiritual connection with Jesus, just touch his robe. The robe, by the way, wasn't some special <laughs> heavenly fabric spun by the angels on looms of gold. It was your basic homespun robe, the kind that everybody wore in Jesus' day. And yet, and yet, because that robe was worn by the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that robe was full of the power of God to save. Hmm. Reminds me of something. The water in baptism is just simply water out of the tap. 
but hooked with God's word. It is the power to save. Uh, the bread and wine is really nothing to look at, but hooked with our Lord's word. It is his body and blood with the promise that it is given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And where your sins are forgiven, you have life and you have salvation. And so for this woman, if you will, our Lord's robe was a sacrament, if you will, of healing and life. Touch it in faith and the gift is yours. Now, Jesus won't have any anonymous healing. He may be the savior of the world, but he is not some anonymous, generic savior. He doesn't simply save the world in mass. He saves the world personally. And he wants to know who touched him. Of all the people shoving and pushing around him, somebody touched him in faith. And he wants to look at that person. He wants to acknowledge this person. And he wants to bless this person. So he stops. Full stop. And he looks at the crowd and he says, who touched my robe? The disciples, they don't get it. What do you mean? Who touched your robe? Good Lord. Look at all the crowds, Jesus. Everybody's touching you. Let's get going. Time's a-wasting. But again, Jesus stops and stands there, and he, and I mean this, and he waits. And Jairus, the desperate father with that sick little girl, remember her? He has to wait as well. We heard from Lamentations 3 this morning. Do you remember that? It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You see, the Lord works on his own time. Because a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day with the Lord. But, you know, we're impatient. We want everything now, today, immediately. You ever been in a waiting room? Don't you hate it? All you have to do is waste time and stare at magazines. We don't like to wait. But the Lord Jesus has us wait and trust and hope. Lamentation said, you remember, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Isn't this delicious? Mm. And so the woman steps forward, trembling, sobbing, and she falls down at our Lord's feet. It was me. I touched you, and now I'm healed. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it, but it's been 12 years. And that's when Jesus looks at her in the eyes with all of the fatherly goodness and mercy of God, and he says, not woman. Did you notice that? He doesn't say woman. He says, daughter, she's part of the family. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace, and you are healed of your sickness. And all the while, Jairus is on hold, waiting, worrying, watching. And it's at that moment that servants come running from Jairus' house with the news that Jairus did not want to hear. What was that? It's too late. Your daughter's dead. So it's no, there's no need to trouble Jesus anymore. There's nothing more that Jesus can do. 
That's as far as their faith in Jesus goes. It goes only as far as death. That's the border that in their minds, no healer can ever cross. <laughs> but Jesus, he ignores what they say. And he looks at Jairus and he gives Jairus a word of hope. Don't fear. Believe. You trusted me when she was sick. How about trusting me when she's dead? She's sick. So brothers and sisters, for Jairus and for each of us, death, especially the death of a child, those of you who've experienced that, is a moment suspended between fear and faith, what the Greeks called a crisis. So every hope that Jairus had in Jesus has now been utterly devastated. The last word has supposedly been spoken. Maybe you've experienced this as well, when the doctor or the surgeon comes out of the uh, operating room and says to you, I'm sorry, we did everything we could for her or for him, but it just wasn't enough. Your child is dead. To our eyes, to our reason, to our senses, to our entire way of thinking, that seems to be the last word. But not with Jesus. Do not fear, he says. Trust me. When every support is gone, trust me. When every hope fails, trust me. When there is nothing more to say, trust him. Trust Jesus. They go to the house, the text says, and another crowd has gathered to do what? To mourn. Weeping and wailing, the sound of tragic, untimely death. Unfair death. And yet Jesus, he is calm in the face of death. As calm as he was, do you remember? When he was sleeping in the boat. <laughs> Why all this weeping and wailing, he says, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. You see, death is no match for the Lord of life. To Jesus, death is nothing but a sleep from which he alone can awake us. Scripture teaches that in Adam all die, but in Christ all will be made alive. That's what we mean when we say we believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe that Jesus Christ will raise the dead when he appears on the last day and when that divine alarm clock sounds to rouse the sleeping. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he's the expert, brothers and sisters. He's the one who died and rose from the dead. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to death. Jesus is the one who has defeated it at its own game through his dying and his rising. Well, the people laughed at Jesus just as the world continues to laugh at Jesus today. Because as far as the world is concerned, death is the end. Death is the last word on life. And if there is any kind of life beyond death, they say that's just speculation. That's just all guess. Resurrection of the body, the world says. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. Dead is dead. That's the world. Well, Jesus chases off the crowds in the text, and he brings Jairus and his wife, along with Peter, James, and John, his closest disciples, and he takes the dead little girl by the hand. And he speaks to this little girl in Aramaic, her native tongue, like a father gently waking his child. Talatha kumi, 
Little girl, get out. Time to get out. And she does. At the sound of our Lord's voice, she gets up from her deathbed and she walks around. Five people see it with their eyes and just to prove it, they give her something to eat because she's hungry. And then Mark tells us a wonderful little detail that we didn't know before. How old is this little girl? Twelve. As old as that poor woman on the road had had her bleeding problem. Twelve years of bleeding, twelve-year-old girl, what's going on? Well, the Lord's having an Israel. He's having a church. There are no coincidences with the Lord. So these two people, a girl on the brink of womanhood and a woman whose childbearing had come to a tragic end, were linked together in the mystery whose name is, that's right, the Lord Jesus Christ. Their lives and their deaths intersected in this carpenter from Nazareth who happened to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world. In these two people, brothers and sisters, one healed on the road, the other raised from the dead, we all get a glimpse of our future. In other words, what lies in store for all of us on the last day and what is already now ours by faith in Jesus Christ. What am I talking about? I'm talking about perfect healing and resurrection of our bodies on the last day. For now, we simply trust it. We believe it. And we cling to the hem of our Lord's robe, if you will. But on the last day, we will see with our own resurrected eyes when he reaches down to us in our death and in our graves and takes us by the hand and wakes us from the death of sleep by saying, wake up, sleepyhead. We don't speak Aramaic, so we won't say talataku. Probably say like your mom and dad said, wake up, time to wake up. This is all yours in Jesus and only in Jesus. Your baptism and the body and blood of Jesus testify this to you. Because in Jesus there is healing. Yes, there is. In him there is life. Yes, there is. As Jesus once said to Jairus at the death of his daughter, so now Jesus says to every one of us today, don't be afraid. Only believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.